Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 388. This is the podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 388. Our first sponsor spotlight and thanks goes to ASCFG, the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Our theme for 2019, 50 States of Slow Flowers, continues today with Felicia Alvarez of Menagerie Farm and Flower in Live Oak, California. So listen for our conversation at the close of this episode. And a news item to share. Slow Flowers has joined a new project launched this month by Kelly Shore of Petals by the Shore and Mary-Kate Canane of The Local Bouquet. It's called The Floral Field Trip, and it takes place this year in Vermont. The dates are September 22nd to 25th. Kelly and Mary-Kate are longtime Slow Flowers members and past Slow Flowers Summit speakers, so you'll be interested in learning more about this project. It's a unique farm tour and design workshop created for florists interested in expanding their domestic product sourcing approach. Now through February 14th, which is tomorrow, you can enjoy a $250 discount on your registration as part of their Treat Yourself sale. You can also find a link to my Q&A with these innovators in today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com. Now, I'm delighted to share today's conversation with Stacy Brenner of Broad Turn Farm, based in Scarborough, Maine. Back in 2012, after the publication of The 50 Mile Bouquet, I received a sweet email from my dear childhood friend, Sherry Shambaugh. We went to high school youth group together in Portland, Oregon, but she had since moved with her family to Portland, Maine. As part of her newsy email, Sherry wrote this, Our CSA farm starts up soon, so we'll be having our source of wonderful produce back. We try to meet Cher with another farm this winter, both stepping back from the amount of meat we eat and choosing better local sources. I'm also thinking of getting the flower share this year, a weekly bouquet of flowers from our food CSA. You would love the blog site of our farmers. They're lovely people. We had dinner with them a few months ago at the home of mutual friends. Their daughter is a gifted photographer and Stacy, the mom, is a gifted arranger and grower. I'll send you a link so you can enjoy them. 
I knew they grew local blooms, but I didn't know there was a slow flowers movement. It makes so much sense. I may go out and paint a few times this summer. It would be nice to get out in the open, and their farm has wonderful vistas. Sherry's an artist, so she sent me the link to Broadturn Farm. And as it turns out, just a few months later, I met Stacy Brenner and John Bliss of Broadturn Farm when they traveled to Tacoma, Washington for the ASCFG conference. And we connected the dots about my friend Sherry, who is one of their CSA customers. Love the small world personal connections that happen when you talk about local and seasonal flowers pretty much all the time. Well, I don't know why it's taken me so long to invite Stacy to be a guest on the Slow Flowers podcast. And I did invite John, but he was otherwise detained when we recorded today's episode, reportedly working in their greenhouses. There has been a lot of excitement coming out of Maine in the Slow Flowers world lately, including two back-to-back successful years with the Flowering in the North conferences. Not to mention Slow Flowers' relationship with Johnny's Selected Seeds, which is based in Maine, and our support of Rain Grace Hoax Slow Flowers Meetup Design Workshops. So the focus on Maine is growing, and I'm excited about that. Let me tell you more about Broad Turn Farm and its owners, Stacy Brenner and John Bliss. This is excerpted from their website. John and Stacy share the work of running the farm and raising two daughters, Emma and Flora. They both grew up in the suburbs of large cities with no direct relationship to agriculture, but they started farming together in 2002. In their bio on Broadturn Farms website, John and Stacy describe themselves as middle-aged, at times cynical, hardworking, and always delighted to have a good laugh with friends and coworkers. Good food is a high priority, as is travel and plenty of time to binge on TV in the winter during a snowstorm. Access to real food, a strong need for connection to sustenance, and the potential to connect the verdant world with social justice is what urged this couple to put their hands to the earth. While the desire to raise food was easy to intellectualize, flower farming was a hobby gone wild. Stacy and John both have a love for making and growing. Thus, flower farming and floral design work is an extension of the challenges of food production melded with the art of design. Every bucket of blooms still makes them giddy. The first bunch of tulips, the perfect peony, and the dahlia with just the right shade brings them such joy. And much like the first meal their family enjoyed with all farm-produced food, the first big wedding they produced with all farm-grown and foraged goods made their hearts sing. John and Stacy are truly honored to put food on people's tables and flowers in their arms. They value Broadturn Farm as a gift, a real blessing, and they are open to sharing that with their community. There are trails to explore and fields to examine, and there's always something going on with the livestock, from cud chewing to a mama hen trailed by her six chicks. And if all that proves unexciting, the barn cats are sure to bring a smile. If you come by and you see John or Stacy puttering around, please say hello. They're almost always busy in the season, but never too busy to share a moment with a visitor. There are no regularly scheduled tours, but don't let that keep you from stopping by. Well, I'm so pleased to share this conversation with you. Stacy has a lot of great news to share, as well as insights that may inspire you to take a step back and reconsider your farm or your studio's mission and practices. Oh, and check out today's show notes for episode 388 to see photos of Stacy and John, Broadturn Farm, its flowers, and a cool video. So much is going on, you'll want to follow and connect with Broadturn Farm. I know you'll love this episode, so let's get started.
Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. And I am so excited today to welcome Stacy Brenner, one half of Broad Turn Farm. Hi, Stacy. Hi, how are you? I'm great. I guess it's okay to call you one half, right? Totally. <laughs> so the other half is John Bliss, and he is, Stacy just told me what he's doing and why he can't be on this podcast. Uh, give us, tell us what he's up to. He is uh, sort of elbow deep in some anemone and ranunculus work, and um, he claimed he didn't have a nice radio voice. Oh, <laughs> oh, good. Now I even am, I'm even more motivated to to get that mic in his face next time yep. I see him. Yep. Um, so Broad Turn Farm is in Scarborough, Maine, and I I saw I think on your website that it's 12 miles outside of Portland, Maine. Is that correct? That's correct. <laughs> Wow. Well, uh, you and I met back in, uh, I was just, we were reminiscing back in 2012 when you were in Tacoma for the ASCFG conference. And I just remember how excited I was to meet you because I had heard about you right when I first started doing uh, stories about flower farmers and and local flowers. Uh, My childhood friend, Sherry Goddard, who lives in Portland, Maine, told me about you because she was a CSA subscriber. I guess, were you doing a f- food and flower CSA at the time? That's correct. We yeah. were. We had both. Yeah. And so she told me about you and, and we kind of met through that connection. And so obviously uh, your reputation preceded you uh, even, you know, kind of in the early days of of my awareness of local flowers. So it's fun to finally get you on the podcast. Um Stacy, give us a snapshot of Broad Turn Farm. Your farm is, would you call it a mature farm? Well, boy, there's still so much we want to do. <laughs> <laughs> a teenage farm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we've um, we've been here at this property for 12 years. Wow. Uh, we've been farming in Maine for 18. Um, so we're just about to head into our 13th season at the property. And it is a 434-acre piece of land owned by the local community land trust, the Scarborough Land Trust. They bought it in 2004 and put an agricultural easement onto it because it had soils of statewide importance Mm. for agriculture. Lucky lucky you. I know. There were some foresightful folks there. It has about 150 open acres, and we have opened up about – 12 to 15 of those for our own production. And then you may know Carolyn Snell, Mm -hmm. her family, her family subleases about 15 acres of the property as well. Um, so she has her eucalyptus forest across the street from my house. I can, I walk the dog dogs over there sometimes. First of all, Um, I can't even believe that there are eucalyptus forests in Maine, but that's, I'm going to get Carolyn on the podcast later this year. So I'll I'll get more details about that. Between Snell Family Farm and Broad Term Farm, are there, are you the only farms on that uh, land or are there other people growing other crops? No, that's it for now. Mm. But, you know, part of our um, plans for growth and expansion include um, getting more farmers uh, here to join us. And it's probably growth from within from our own crew. Wow. um, That we're, you know, working to cultivate, uh, other opportunities with. Um, but, uh, that's, that's neat. We're not sure. We're not sure where that's headed. <laughs> but that's that's sort of that um, you know growing farmers philosophy. That uh, okay. I mean, you have such an education emphasis at Broad Turn. Um, can you talk about some of the educational programs that you're doing? This, uh, this is a, in addition to producing amazing flowers. 
So we were welcomed into the Maine organic farm community um, with open arms when we arrived to Maine. We both did not grow up here. John grew up in Massachusetts and I grew up outside of Philadelphia. We don't have agriculture directly in our past in any way. Um, and so we came here specifically to farm and there was a journey person program that we participated in and we wanted to be growing food for people, um, hungry people. Mm -hmm. And we had a social justice mission and we had no intention of, of this being a flower farm or, uh, being in the wedding business or (laughs) becoming a floral designer. (laughs) No, the drive was to feed people. And I studied agriculture in college. um, So I had a degree under my belt, but I, long story short, I had a side gig, side hustle as a nurse midwife tucked in there as well. Mm. Um, So um, we felt so welcomed that we felt like over the years, we really needed to continue to extend that ethos out to other people. So we've, uh, we've had a long run of apprentices at our farm we have uh, participated as mentors in the Journey Person program for Mafka and for Nofa Vermont. So we've launched a lot of growers out into the world, helped to launch them. Mm-hmm. And um, then we run a small summer day camp for children that we feel like is the um, sort of first way to really help a community start to think about where food comes from and where what what working agriculture looks like and how to how to have a um, an engagement with it that feels authentic. So we have had folks work for us that have been campers. Um, and you know, hopefully those kids are always asking for locally grown products, ideally organic whenever possible. That, when did you start the summer camp program? We started the summer camp program maybe 13 or 14 years. Well, yeah, about 13 years ago. Um, but on a piece of land we rented before we moved here. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it, you have you have generations of family members who've come through this program, it seems like. Kids. Yeah. And what's funny is those kids come up to me with their, <laughs> they'll show up for camp and their mom will drag them up to me and say, this is the midwife that was there when you were born. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like sort of cowering behind mom, a little bit nervous. Feel, that feels like a really, you know. Wow. What a connection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's fun. I, 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 I feel very much uh, uh, honored to be a part of people's lives in so many ways. But I, I agree with you uh, about this sort of act of educating because in a way it is a subversive act in that you're getting city kids excited about eggs being hatched with chicks and harvesting, as you said on your website, harvesting strawberries and then maybe getting to make a strawberry shortcake and eat it. Like what a like great visual aid for kids to, to make that connection is I picked this food and now I've made a meal with it. Yeah. Yeah. And we've started doing floral design with them, which is super fun. They, they really are naturals at, you know, they, they have no boundaries and they just make the most beautiful things. They're not at all restrained by the sorts of things that restrain me and my middle age. (laughs) (laughs) I saw that you had one week where the theme this summer is just all flowers. And I want to come to that camp. That looks awesome. Yeah. Very fun. (laughs) So, um, the other, uh, it seems like the other education you're doing is more on the advocacy side uh, with the just the larger agricultural community um, in in New England, but also specifically in Maine. And um, 
I know you, you mentioned to me that you also participated in the Social Entrepreneur Intensive at Stone Barn, where you are being educated. So can you just give us a little update on what's what's happened recently for you in those, in those realms? Yeah, so over the years, John and I have been um, always seeking out any opportunity we can to increase our own knowledge. So actually, when we met you, we had received a business planning and development grant from the state of Maine, the Department of Agriculture. It's called the Farms for the Future grant. Mm. And so we use that money actually to join ASCFG and to fly out there for that conference, which was pretty transformative. Oh my gosh. Wow. So we both were first timers. That's neat. And uh, gosh, I remember so vividly sitting down on the bus with Dave Dowling and Mimo and um, uh, uh, Barbara Lambrone from Mm. Green. Greenstone, Greenstone. Uh and on the bus and boy, they just embraced us and we felt so welcomed and it's been, it's been a transformative and life-changing organization for us to be a part of. Um, and so, you know, we sort of kept seeking out those opportunities, but the more, the more developed our own business got, the harder they seemed to be defined. And then Stone Barnes put out this call for applications for folks who would be interested in participating in a a social entrepreneur intensive for farmers that was run by a guy from Berkeley, uh, wow. uh, Haas school of business. His name is Will Rosenzweig. And he started this company that you might know, uh, Republic of tea. Yes. Yeah. Great guy. Uh, super, um, amazing and inspirational, uh, educator. And he has a fantastic team of support around him that, um, worked to lead us through this week together. There were 18 of us from across the country. Um, and I just, it just blew my mind open. It was great. Um, so I really am grateful to Stone Barnes for finding the funding to put this together. They, they fed us like we were champs every day. We had food from the Blue Hill catering. <laughs> oh my gosh. Was yeah. that this, was that this summer or when did that you... Was- well, it was perfectly time for farmers. It was in December. So it was just that point where we really start to do the work of dreaming and, and you know, getting pathologically optimistic again about <laughs> oh, maybe do it again for another year. So December of 2018. Correct. Wow. Yeah. You just completed that. That sounds so wonderful. You know, yeah. I love that idea of, uh, you know, so many people go, are drawn to farming as a lifestyle. You're taking it the next step and saying, how can... Um, our social justice mission um, be nurtured through our family business. And those connections must have really been affirming for you to see that you're not alone in this approach. No. And, and, you know, honestly, what we want is a vibrant agricultural economy that restores the capacity for the New England region and Maine, Maine in particular, to be able to see farming as a super viable profession for its young people. And it's old people too, right? And it's like a viable, viable um, economy that belongs at the table with every other discussion about economic development and jobs and um, sustaining communities. It's yeah, that's so these, cool. These sorts of social of social entrepreneur intensives happen for all sorts of industries, but they haven't really happened for farming yet. And mm. so that was really powerful to take these sort of classic. Um, social entrepreneur concepts from the business school and bring them to farmers and and help us really think big about our businesses. That's cool. So Stacey, um, we've talked about a little bit of your background being in food farming. Are you 
And John, growing any food now at all, or are you 100% in flowers? We do still grow food. We grow seed garlic for Fedco, which is a main-based uh, seed cooperative. Okay. And we grow um, food for our staff and for our summer camp and a handful of caterers that mm-hmm. we have host weddings for. Mm, I see. Just, just, just where it kind of blends with uh, the program-specific food needs. Yeah, we're trying to get away from growing the food and then having to um, market it too much because the marketing bandwidth for the business is really focused at this point on flowers. Right. So I can see why the caterers you're already working with on events for flower-focused weddings, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, And we feel strongly that our crew eat well, so we raise meat and produce for them. I think that's great. And that is another reason that you're you're kind of a great farm to work for is people know that they'll be taken care of and do people, well, do people, I know you have, uh, in, I don't know, intern is in the right word, apprentice program, right? Yeah, well, we did that for many years and we just stepped away from it for the first time last year uh, because it was becoming more and more challenging for John and I to be the first place where everyone was um, uh, learning. Yeah. And our crew started to lose interest in the education element and felt like they wanted to build a bigger professional staff. And so we stepped away from it last year um, per their request. We sort of let a lot of what happens for the development of the crew be driven by the staff because we want them to be really happy about how uh, the makeup of the of the day is going in terms of who they're engaging with. So we've stepped away from, but, but then we still do men, we still mentor farmers through the journey person program and, um, felt like we could put our efforts towards other, other angles for education. Well, I mean, your website has a lot of messaging on there that basically is, is inviting people to come check you out. And, um, you just, you seem very approachable. So I'm sure you get a lot of inquiries uh, about people who want to visit and want to learn more and that that can be really draining and i'm sure you handle it with with a lot of grace and finesse um because again i totally pick up on the theme that here and that is that you and john care about paying it forward in your community yeah so uh how many crew do you have you mentioned um you know that these are these people are who work uh, at the farm with you and john are essential to uh, achieving everything you want to achieve in a season. Yeah. So let's see, we have six people that manage the summer camp and then we have, um, two year round folks that are here working on sales and wet with wedding clients and with, uh, season planning and, um, a couple of part-time people that are year round that help us in our, our new retail store. Um, and then in the season, there's probably like, gosh, <laughs> can you keep 12, track? <laughs> probably twelve people that are full and part time seasonal helpers that are um, with us in the field doing planting and harvesting, and packing and bunching and all of that. And then those folks, a lot of them double as um, our design crew for our weekend weddings. Yeah. And then we have a sort of a bevy of freelancers that we reach out to. Um, and so, like I sent thirty. W2s <laughs> out, which felt right. like a big, a big crowd. It was a right. lot of, right. 
Well, no, that yeah. that's a really good indicator of, of where you're drawing talent in to kind of fill in gaps. And But you also sounds like you really cross-train people. Like, like everybody has yeah. to be nimble uh, at the farm. Yeah, and I really feel strongly that um, we should always be moving in the direction of having our leadership team teaching the work that they're doing and the way they're making decisions to the next person so that there's always capacity for growth. So, and also you don't want, you want everyone to be able to move out of a role and into a new role whenever it makes sense. Um, So we're working really hard for everyone to have what they do be translatable. And our crew for us are our family of choice. We, we love them so Mm -hmm. much and are um, always trying to find ways to make sure that the time they spend all together and with us is, is feels valuable. It also feels like you and John then get a little bit of a breather so that you're not having to touch everything. You're delegating with confidence to your, your leadership, uh, the, the leaders who work for you. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it makes their work more interesting, the more responsibility they're given. So the, by, by having our own roles be translatable, it frees us up to do other sorts of things in the community, like civic work, to be on boards, to, um, make time for calls like this, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, here it is, it's like early February and it sounds like there's a lot going on already with, with the planting, um, are anemones and ranunculus kind of your first season crops or do you have a bulb program like a, a tulip yeah, program? We, we have about 25,000 tulips in the ground that we're eagerly awaiting their, their bloom, uh, some are outside, some are undercover. Um, and then the ranunculus and anemone sort of follow suit after that. We have some narcissus in the ground, but our stem length is always a challenge for those guys. No matter what we try, it still seems to be a bit of a challenge. They're great for design work, but I have trouble selling them as single stem bunches anywhere. Is it just um, that? Is it just that they? It's too chilly and not bright, not enough daylight to get them to grow longer, or? Well, it was interesting. I recently bought some really long ones from the wholesaler and we were talking about it. And one of the theories is that perhaps they're grown in a shadier spot to encourage that elongation mm. or they're in dark and they get pulled out. So, I, so you know, but I've tried mulching them heavily and I haven't had success with stem length. So after we finish up with the tulips and my troubled narcissus, we... <laughs> We usually hit the anemone and ranunculus, and then ideally we're sort of heading into spring herbaceous perennials starting to bloom, um, uh, columbine and um, bleeding hearts, things mm. like that. Mm-hmm. And then um, the house starts to wake up with snaps and stock, and um, we have uh, just added heat to one of our hoop houses this year, and so we're going to actually heat up all three of them um, to start to see what we can do with shoulder season extension. Since we opened this flower shop in August, we're in a position to have a different kind of market to play with. And that's been really fun. And so, um, we're hoping to, to fill that space with flowers, um, earlier. That's so cool. And can I just stop and talk about this? I didn't know you had a flower shop and I just recently talked to, um, to Tiny Hearts Farm on the podcast, and they've, they're in Hudson Valley, New York, and they've opened a retail shop. I am so excited to hear that Broad Turn Farm is doing something similar. So is it, at Scar- is it in Scarborough, right at your farm? No, no. The flower shop is in downtown Portland. Oh my it's gosh. on Washington. 
Yeah, it's on Washington Avenue. It's a teeny tiny little 14 by 16 space. It's the actually like the entrance, the lobby to a small wood or actually quite a large space. It's a wood fired bagel bakery. And the fun history to the space is that it used to be the place. It used to be our wholesale floral distribution business called it was a longtime uh, family business called Creighton's. And everyone would go there for supplies. Sure. And if a little something, or we would, we often sold flowers to them that they would then resell. Um, and so the building was really fun, beautiful industrial warehouse space. And now it's three businesses and we occupy a little space inside that bagel bakery. Wow. But so, but it has some floral roots in terms of familiarity for the, the professionals who, yeah. who would yeah, buy our- from you. Exactly. And our shop is where they had all the dusty boxes of foam and the baskets and things. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has a beautiful new life now that's probably uh, the most healthy place the, the building's ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fun. So it's- is it um, is it called Broad Turn Farm Shop or what are you, do you have a different name for it? Broad Turn Farm Flower Shop. <laughs> oh, oh, good for you. And, and how are you operating it? Is it, is it are you trying to be year round? Yeah, we're definitely year-round. We're open for full service uh, Wednesday through Sunday, uh, in and the um, we follow the hours of the restaurant. And then we have material and sales options on Monday and Tuesday, but they go through the register for the bakery. Oh, like pre-made or pre-bouquets that are pre-made. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh my goodness! How? No wonder you're not. I was just going to say, no wonder you're not. Uh, adding the whole apprentice program, you're stretched so far in, in a good way, but you're, yeah, I'm never, never short on ideas here. <laughs> well, what have the benefits of uh, been for you having that shop? Uh, is it, it more visibility in, in the largest Metro market in the state and connection to wedding clients? And I mean, all of the above. Yeah. I'm a huge consumer of business books. And my favorite is uh, by Yvonne Chouinard, who is the, um, the founder of Patagonia. And he wrote a book called Let My People Go Surfing. And he talks about the genesis of their bricks and mortar stores. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, so that for me was super inspiring because he talked a lot about how people wanted to come in and experience the product. And a lot of their sales still remain online and through their catalog. But the um, but the experience is was important for people. And so we wanted, you know, it's hard to have people come here for meetings in the winter because it's really not terribly attractive. So, um, I mean, I think it's beautiful, but it's muddy and the dogs are muddy and the, you know, the driveways gravel. And, well, and, and, and it's a bit of a commitment to drive outside of the city for 12. I mean, not that 12 miles is that bad, but yeah, it's not, exactly. not right in the hub. And then we, we wanted to have a place where we could do big, fun install things that the average person could experience. Because when we do really big, fun things for weddings, they're up for the evening and the, you know, the 200 guests experience it and the caterer and the band, and then it comes down and that's the end of it. But this way we can sort of like really play with the capacity for the public to have the opportunity to be with flowers. Wow. So do people uh, walk through your space to get to the restaurant? Is that one of the experiences that is part of that location? They do, yeah. Yeah. So um, will you share a few photos of some of the installs you've done? Sure, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's wonderful. It's so interesting because I'm just going to add you to the list of of innovative farmers who are uh, basically 
going straight to market with their own retail uh, environments. I think it's it's definitely um, a way to keep more profit in your pocket and also develop new markets. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Well, I got you off track with that. I just had to stop and talk about your shop. I love flower shops anyway. So I'm excited to know about that. I can't wait to visit. Um, your season then continues, uh, obviously, after early summer. And uh, that's when things really kick up for weddings, probably, as well as farming. Yeah. So Maine's wedding business really gets going around Memorial Day. And it's pretty hot and heavy through October. Um, but our crop mix, we kind of, we kind of move into the, uh, hardcore into the herbaceous perennials Our peonies start coming. Um, we have a pretty nice sized woody, um, plot that's nice and mature now. And is we're cutting from pretty heavily. Um, and then we have all the annuals, uh, that kind of start to really emerge, um, by July. Um, oh, I bet all your field crops, right? Yep, exactly. Exactly. So we have, we try to have as good of a mix as we can of things that are going to come at different times. And then those years where we're feeling lean, like, oh my goodness, I'm hardly making it to get the harvest for the spring bloom CSA. Then we think, okay, what's blooming that we could have right now that if I had like, you know, 800 more stems of, I could really knock it out of the park. And then that's when we start making investments in things. Mm. Can you give a couple examples of that when that happened and what you decided to bump it up on? Yeah. yeah. So John and I have always been of the mindset that we build the market and then we figure out how to meet the demand because <laughs> I never want to, I just, I just don't want to be in a situation where I have more flowers than I have capacity to sell. Cause that feels like a real waste of money and labor and time. Yeah. So, um, and so far that's worked. <laughs> um, but the, um, like last year, for example, we, we were wishing that we had a lot more uh, big, beautiful alliums blooming because mm. we had a bunch of things we needed to fill, big big things and small things, and our CSA would have loved them, um, but we didn't have enough, and so we made a big investment in alliums. Hmm. That's a great example of something that is not a common mass crop. You know, it's, it's yeah. more of a border flower and I love them too. I was thinking you were going to talk about maybe foliages as being a niche that you constantly need to, you know, expand on or experiment with because it seems like it's so much design work requires a lot of foliage. Yeah. I think what's helped, uh, is, um, after that Tacoma meeting of the ASFCG, mm -hmm. we took a tour of Jello Mold Farm. Yep, yep. And um, that was really uh, helpful for us because we hadn't really even considered Woody's as part of our mix. You know, we were just going through the Johnny's catalog ordering, right. <laughs> ordering annuals. Annuals, and, yeah. Yeah, we made some huge investments after that um, meeting uh, in Woody's and it also coincided with some more stability in our lease arrangement here and more capacity to feel secure about our time, our, our long-term tenancy. Right. Because you, you are, um, in this land trust. What is the, what is the lease situation for that? We are, um, well, so I'll tell you what we're doing and then I'll tell you where we're headed. Okay. So we, um, we started out with a five-year lease that had the, had a, rolling clause where every two years and we would start the negotiate renegotiation for another five years. And then, uh, we hit a wall because we wanted a longer lease and the land trust, um, 
wanted us to have a longer lease. And so we renegotiated a, for a 30-year lease. Wow. We thought that seemed about right for the life of our business. And then as our business has grown and now we're, we've hit uh, moments where we want to make some capital investments in the property that are larger than a big perennial field. Um, and we have started to see some challenges with how the business might transfer to the next owner. Um, and one of the things that I think a lot about when I think about farmland uh, is that you see these generational farms that fall into some disrepair and um, sort of lose profitability um, as in between generations running it. Mm-hmm. And so we really want this farmland to always be at its peak of productivity and its peak of profitability. And so you need we need to think about it like a true business and not get so romantically attached to it being our farm and our family, um, but that it's about the agriculture and less about the romance of our family. Um, so we are working now on a lease that will be 99 years. And in, rather it being in John and I, uh, in our names, the lease will be in the business name. So we're incorporated as an S corp mm. that the business can change hands and travel in perpetuity with the lease because the business and the lease really can't be separated. The value of the business is intrinsically tied to the relationship with the land trust and the lease. Wow. That's so, it is very forward thinking. And, um, I don't know, it just reflects your personal values and love for this land. And as you said, beyond your individual assets, it's something that you want to see live on long after you stop farming. Yeah. I mean, you want let the legacy not to be about your family and that land, but about the success of your business. Yeah. That's exciting. Wow. Uh, that could be a whole, that could be a whole presentation at ASCFG that, you know, others could <laughs> perhaps learn from. Are, do you, I can't remember, do you live on the farm though, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. We live here. It's like a fishbowl. We're like right in the middle. <laughs> I know. I remember the time I asked you, uh, I was trying to put a pitch together for better homes and gardens <laughs> and I still have the folder in my Dropbox. It says something like, like, okay, homes and gardens. <laughs> like yeah. you're totally, you're trying to lower expectations, but it, it was the photos you shared were so charming. In fact, I think I'll try to use some of them in the, in our pod, <laughs> podcast show notes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, um, you're so busy as a floral designer. How, uh, how has that grown for you? It seems like your skill sets just, just being pushed every year to do a larger and more full service weddings. Yeah. Well, I have this um, policy of always saying yes to things. Um, I shouldn't say always because I just said no to something yesterday. Um, But I try really hard to say yes. And then we spend a lot of time as a crew. uh, We call it research and development. So we like this year, we took a trip to L.A. And last year we were in New York City. And the year before that, we were in Montreal, um, really kind of exploring design and limits of design and, um, kind of cracking open our capacity and our skill sets, um, and staying inspired. Mm -hmm. So, um, we, uh, have really tried hard to move away from the humble Mason jar. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and really push our clients towards other things, um, and try to grasp, uh, design and style, using farm driven floral design as the, as the medium. And, and it's been fun. It's, you know, it's a, every year we, we get to do something fun and new. And, um, we have a client that, 
uh, feels trust, trusting enough and, um, and we get to try a thing, a new thing. And Angela, who, who manages, manages now most of our wedding clients, she and I will spend a lot of time sitting together saying, okay, so I want to do a bonsai wedding. Can you find a client <laughs> that will like buy a bonsai wedding? And uh, <laughs> What does that even mean, Stacey? <laughs> well, I want to, I want to use a whole bunch of little bonsai trees. Oh, how and, fun. Yeah. But you know, I need a, like, and, and this is so funny. Okay. So like I, you know, it's a little bit of my nerdy, like balance between money and plant nerd. And like, if I could get the client to sign on and then I get to, you know, collect bonsais and then, you know, we get to like find a home for all these bonsais. Like it's just, you know, geeky little things about how to try to blend business and, and plant and nerd. Ar- and art. And art. Yeah. Exactly. It's a, beauty, well, it's a beauty proposition at the end of the day. I like what you said about farm driven, because I feel like maybe that's sort of hard to explain to people like, yes, we're growing all these ingredients and they're inspired by season and the, this sense of place at broad term farm. But our design aesthetic is, is fully art focused. And it's like, it's not the Mason jar. Like that's a real great leap to bring people along that trajectory. Um, And really you, they, they, it has to be about them trusting you to interpret their, you know, dreams for their special day or whatever yep. in some, yep. with something more than what you'd, you know, have seen right. back, back in the gunny sack dress day or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. That's exciting. Uh, I love, I love the idea of travel and research too. I, I fully believe that that is, you know, Instagram is great, but physically getting out into new environments is, it seems to be just so much more impactful in terms of changing how we view things and ourselves. Yeah. And it really cements us as a team. And, um, you know, we have these fun, memorable experiences together. So how many would it be you and Angela and then a couple other people? Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Um, all right. Well, you just finished a, an amazing conference. Your, is it the second flowering in the North conference that has taken place, um, in that you've been involved in? It is. Yes. Okay. So, uh, this just happened, this happened to get on my radar very last minute last year. And I think within days of announcing the Flowering in the North Conference, you had sold out. And it was just simply t- too difficult for me to, to attend. And I didn't get out this year, but I hope in the future I can. But tell me what the mot- what, what was the motivation for starting this conference? Um, well, we would love to have you when you're able to join us. Um, and the motivation for the conference really stemmed from uh, for, for my uh, fellow neighborhood flower farmers Mm -hmm. and myself, we really felt like when we would attend big national conferences or, um, educational opportunities online or something that they didn't always understand the limitations of growing in cold climates and Mm. that perhaps we had enough knowledge and enough capacity and enough interest regionally to think about something more specific for our zones. Um, and we were blown away by the interest last year. It took us slightly by surprise. Um, and this year it was even better. And we had 250 people show up for the two-day conference. That's amazing. Wow. 50 people for our pre-conference day. I saw that the, and the pre-conference was like a floral design intensive that sold out immediately. I, I, or am I correct on that? 
it I think it took us a couple weeks, but we sold it out pretty quickly. I mean, but by yeah. the time by the time I looked at it, the conference was <laughs> the conference registration was still open, but that that intensive day was full, completely ready. Yeah. yeah. So, do you partner with um, when I like who are the sponsors? It's, is it Broadturn Farm and so um, Broad, It's Broadturn Farm and it's Carolyn Snell Designs. Uh, and then we have the Cumberland County Cooperative Extension, which is the University of Maine's branch in our county, and uh, MAFCA, the Maine Organic Farm and Gardeners Association. Wow. Um, so the four of us, uh, it's, most, it's four, uh, and Elena Robbins, who works at Broadturn Farm, uh, she um, is also instrumental. So the two of us, Carolyn, Jason Lilly from a Cooperative Extension, and Dave Colson from MAFCA, we came together and um, we put it on the last two years. Well, it's it's sort of modeling. It's it's mirroring what I I'm seeing happen in other parts of the country, where the flower farming community is pushing the cooperative extension and the sort of ag organic farming groups that traditionally have been food focused is pushing them to embrace flower farming as a topic that should be taught and and yeah. um, expanded on. And the way to get them to pay attention is to tell them the potential for it to be an economic driver for the agricultural sector in the region. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I mean, this is the same <laughs> happened out here in the Northwest with the Oregon Small Farms Conference yeah. for decades, never included anything about flowers until the local farmers, uh, the Pacific Northwest Cut Flower Growers Group, started pushing for that content to be offered. So kudos, yeah. kudos to you. And and that that uniqueness about growing in the Northeast, how do you define the Northeast in terms of like, I, I'm sure you don't turn anyone away, but like roughly what is, are your borders? Oh, well, so we had folks from Canada and from Minnesota, from Michigan. We really had folks from all over the Northern climates. Mm -hmm. Um, but zone, zone five and lower really wow. was sort of what we were targeting. Wow. And but it's then they hear, they hear what you're growing and they're realizing like, Oh, I'm not, I don't just have a four season, you know, calendar here. I can be yeah. a seven or eight season farm. Yeah. Yeah. And what would happen over the years is that people would ask John and myself to give talks at vegetable conferences or uh, at gen generic farming conferences about flowers. And for me, I was like, well, you know, that's like asking a vegetable farmer to talk about vegetables. Like, what mm -hmm. do you want to hear? You know, I need a full conference. I need two days. Yeah, don't give me a one hour. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, one hour is not enough. Oh, my so, gosh. You know, we're pushing them all the time to have a conference. So now we have one. But this, this year in particular, you really, uh, I feel like you added uh, even more on sort of to attract the farmer florist uh, in terms of that kind of balance between growing and design. Was that intentional? Well, we had a small design component and we had one workshop last year on weddings and um, it was pretty universal in the evaluation forms from last year that people really wanted more of that. So we figured, well, gee, I guess we should just go for it and do a full day on design and weddings. Um, and it, it really paid off. I think I'm hoping people walked away with some little pearls that help them build their businesses. And, you know, we see more farm driven design all over the region. I love that. That's so cool. Um, and I know that we, we were, we're just going to touch on this because I'll do more in the future on the podcast, but, um, 2019 is the year when ASCFG has multiple conferences around the country. And in fact, their Denver conferences next week, um, one will be in Maine in in the Portland area, right? This summit coming July. Yeah. 
Yeah, so mid-July, there'll be a meeting uh, that will tour our farm and uh, Snell Family Farm. And then there'll be a gathering at Johnny's Seeds to look at their flower seed trials. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we'll we'll make sure that when we're getting a, a little closer to uh, when that's, people can start planning, um, I'll, I'll have um, a podcast episode devoted to that. So, um, you know, Maine is on the map now, girl. It's great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So we're hoping for for the conference for flowering in the north next year. We're thinking of something slightly different that mirrors a little more what the Stone Barns Social Entrepreneurship Intensive looked like. Where awesome, yeah. Where it'll be maybe we do the big conference every year, and then every other year we sort of make it a much more intimate experience. It'll probably have an application, um, and I. <laughs> I want it to be really hard to get to, like you have to hike in and there's absolutely no flowers there because one of the problems with flowers in, in cold climates in the winter is you have to protect them from freezing when you move them from the vehicle into the <laughs> building. <laughs> oh, did you guys run into that in oh, January? Every, every day I run into that when I'm trying to deliver somebody's <laughs> arrangement. <laughs> Jeez. Well, it almost sounds like the, like the off year could be more of the uh, kind of think tanky, you know, exactly. Exactly. Intent, single topic focus that might right. ba- balance out. Oh, I, I'm inspired. I think it's, it's, I, it's great that I you're doing big, that. I want big, audacious, collaborative goals and ideas to come out of that intensive for us as growers in the region. I think it could be really powerful. Oh my gosh, that's exciting. Yeah, well, to be continued. How can people get more information? Can they just sign up for your mailing list just to get you know announcements for, or does the conference itself have a website? The conference does not have a website yet, but I just recently brought the URL so that we could think about that. Um, but mostly Carolyn and I disseminate information via social media from our, our Instagrams and our Facebooks. Okay. Well, we'll share that so people can kind of just track uh, news that's coming out of Broad Turn Farm, both for what's happening specifically with your farm and then what will happen in the future with these, you know, conferences and, and gatherings and opportunities for other farmers to plug in. So very cool. Oh my gosh. I'm so inspired. Um, I really appreciate you just updating us on what's happening at Broad Term Farm and uh, beyond. And uh, tell John that uh, he's getting on the next (laughs) podcast episode, whether he likes it or not. He's got a lot to say, so you better watch out. <laughs> maybe he can. Maybe he can have his own episode. <laughs> um, right. So I know we're going to come to a close, and I know we didn't touch on everything we had hoped to. But um, as we close, is there anything you want to kind of uh, share with the listeners about 2019 for your farm and what what you're focused on? You've already like lived an entire year in six weeks. I'm, you must be exhausted already. <laughs> Well, we're just really optimistic for another fabulous year. And, you know, it's it's just that cycle of um, optimism for farmers. We we, uh, yeah. we it's pathological in a way. <laughs> it's, we're just excited it, to yeah, do it again. Yeah. It gets you out of bed in the morning. And I must say, you know, John is an avid podcast listener when he's on the tractor, and I I'm an avid podcast listener when I'm doing the delivery run, and um, we just um, have always enjoyed your work, and we've always enjoyed your ability to really bring um, flower farming to the forefront and to support all of us in our work. So thank you. Oh, thank you. It is my pleasure, and um, I know just just talking about what gets me out of bed in the morning, getting to to talk to a new 
a new point of view or a new person with a new point of view and a new vision and inspire others is just really what kept this podcast going after five years. So um, I'm glad that I'm glad that we finally caught up with you. And uh, I really am excited about that store and photos that you're going to share. So we'll have those on the show notes at DebraPrincing.com. And thank you again so much, Stacey. Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. so much for joining my conversation with Stacy Brenner of Broad Turn Farm. We briefly touched on the upcoming Portland, Maine ASCFG conference this summer, which includes a tour of Broad Turn Farm. And I'll share a link in today's show notes if you're inclined to plan ahead. The dates are July 14th and 15th in Portland, and the theme is In the Thick of It. We'll share more details as they become available. Our second sponsor spotlight today is Johnny's Selected Seeds. How fitting, because they're based also in Maine. This is an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnnysseeds.com. And now let's meet Felicia Alvarez of Menagerie Farm and Flower who shares a California floral spotlight. I have to say, inviting Felicia to join me on the Slow Flowers podcast was a big decision because, well, we have a good number of members in the Golden State, 85 in all, including flower farms, floral wholesalers, online florists, retail florists, studio florists, and farmer florists. It's a highly diversified landscape, and Menagerie Farm is unique because of its food and flower mix and the hot categories of garden roses and flowering branches and fruiting branches. Be sure to visit today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com to see photos of Felicia, her crops, and to learn about some upcoming events she's hosting. Well, I'm so excited today to talk about California and all things flowers, and it's a big state, and I'm delighted that Felicia Alvarez has joined me. Hi, Felicia. Hi, Deborah. So happy to be here today. Yeah, me too. Uh, Felicia is the owner of Menagerie Farm and Flower in uh, the Sacramento Valley. And um, I just, I loved the times we've had to meet in person and chat at, well, when I was down in Sacramento this past June. And then also we saw each other at the ASCFG conference. So, but never enough time, right? I know it is never enough time. I know our conversations are always too short. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a good chance to give everyone a snapshot of your farm. And so describe, uh, give us a snapshot of Menagerie and, and it's a great name. What, what does it encompass? Um, Menagerie uh, is a, we're a farm and a flower, um, uh, a flower, flower farm and a fruit farm. Uh, we have about a hundred acres here in the Sacramento Valley. Uh, I farm about 72 acres of French prunes. And I'm a grower for Sunsweet Growers. That's what I started out as, wow. as a fruit farmer. Wow. Yeah, and uh, expanded into the realm of flowers, um, flowering branches and roses uh, about five years ago. Uh, so <clears throat> I have a little bit of everything. Uh, I specialize in the branches, uh, which come mainly from my fruit trees uh, and garden-style roses. Mm. Is that kind of how you got started, is that you realized you had beautiful flowering branches? Uh, I did. I, it was the flowering branches, and um, it just, again, it was sort of happenstance that a friend of my husband's, uh, who was a, a florist, um, happened to just come out to the farm for some reason, and he said, 
um, you know, you have really beautiful roses out here because uh, here on our property, um, uh, my grandmother had collected roses for many years, mm. uh, and we live in kind of the gold rush country mm. uh, um, location uh, where a lot of uh, people during the gold rush era came out from uh, the Midwest and brought their roses with them. So there's a lot of found roses out mm, here. Neat. Uh, in the rural area where I live. So I had this wonderful collection of roses and the florist said, you know, these are really popular these days. Have you ever thought about selling them? And I'm like, oh no, no, you know, that's, that's my hobby. Like that's what I, you know, that's what I do for fun. That's, you know, my love of roses came from my grandmother and my mom and, you know, this lovely collection that they left me here on this farm. And, um, so I sold some to him and then that led to something else. And then, you know, I, it sort of spiraled into, um, what I have today. So I have um, beautiful flowering branches uh, uh, from prunes, peaches, almonds, mm. uh, apples, quince, all kinds. And oh then I gosh. have uh, garden roses as well. Wow. That is, that's amazing. I'm just getting the shivers hearing, thinking about all the goodness <laughs> that you're producing. And <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of nice. And I love it because I am pretty specialized, mm-hmm. um, which I like too, that it allows me to be um, really focused on uh, making what I have really beautiful. So do you kind of have two seasons because the flowering branches you you're you're prune I guess you're cutting them as you're pruning the fruit trees earlier in the year. Yeah, right? so it it is. It's kind of like two seasons. Actually, the branches are starting are starting to get started now. Actually, because wow. yeah. we will cut some of them um, while they're still in bud or uh, before they push bud and mm-hmm. put them in a cooler where mm-hmm. we can hold them and then pull them out to force them. Um, for months, like well into the spring. Wow. And then I also cut um, as they bloom. And each variety, depending on whether it's a, a prune or a peach or an almond or an apple uh, it, or an olive, it depend, <laughs> depending on what it is, um, will bloom at different times. So, And I've, I've planted uh, trees over the last handful of years specifically for ornamental branch mm. production mm-hmm. um, that I can stagger my blooms, which also helps. Oh, right. So that I have um, something to supply uh, over a period of a couple months, uh, depending on the variety, uh, during the uh, early spring and late winter. I just want to say one more thing about the the flowering branches, uh, Felicia, and that is, um, you know, normally when I when I first heard you disgui- discussing this, I thought, oh my gosh, she's sacrificing her fruit production by cutting the flowers. But that's not the case because you're planting ornamental varieties, right? Yes, I have ornamental varieties. I also have fruiting varieties as well. And what we're cutting off of is what we would trim usually and regularly for winter pruning. Mm. So I'm not sacrificing any fruit production. It's just part of the normal um, thinning process, essentially. Right, for the health um, Which the is health also kind of how, how I discovered that I had <laughs> these beautiful things that, you know, used to go in the compost pile that, you know, florists were like, those are gorgeous. Like, what are you, do- <laughs> what are you doing with those? I'm like, I'm, I'm chipping them or I'm composting them. So I realized that they, um, they, they were extremely popular. Um, so I'm not sacrificing the fruit and I do sell the branches as well, um, throughout the season as immature fruits, Mm. as we do, we go Mm. through the thinning process, Mm -hmm. especially for peaches. Um, they need to be thinned. So we might cut out some small branches that have fruits, um, as well as, uh, into harvest. Like, so it just, it really depends on the variety. So I have, um, flowering only, and I do have flowering and fruiting, um, and they ha- they go kind of throughout the season, really just depending on what um, variety they yeah. are and what they have to offer yeah. in terms of fruit or flower. Right. And then, um, okay, that's cool. I'm already mouthwatering uh, listening to you. <laughs> um, tell me ab- about the roses now. You started to say that they are um, they come a little bit later in the season. So when is that? 
They do. So right around the time the branches have sort of, they're done with their flowering, we've gone through all that, um, the roses really get hopping. And it's usually around April. Um, I'm lucky here. I'm in zone 9B in California. So we do have pretty (laughs) pretty mild winters. But I'm in in Northern California. So we get a little cooler than Southern California. Mm -hmm. So we do kind of have the four seasons. So um, I have a little bit later start with my roses. But um, usually by, you know, by May, they're beautiful. So um, designers that need those, you know, garden roses for their May brides or, you know, always have their orders <laughs> in really early because uh, they know that the field's going to be exploding with blooms. They so, want, they want they your first, run. they want your first, exactly. Uh, they harvest. want Cause those spring blooms really are the best. Mm. I mean, they are, they are, they're the, they're fragrant, they're beautiful. It's after the rains, like they're just spectacular. Um, and then we will have those, uh, usually until November, wow. they run through November. We'll have, um, the garden roses sometimes into December, depending on, depending on the year, but, um, right. Uh, November's kind of our unofficial cutoff date. Well, I know you've got a lot of information about the roses on your website and we'll be sure to, um, you get some photos from you, uh, to include in our show notes today, as well as links to all your website and your other social places so people can follow you. Um, what do you, what do you kind of say in terms of your inventory? Like how many varieties, of roses do you have? And are they all, uh, you said some were found, are some more English garden style? Yeah, some are some more English garden style. Some are um, old Ragosas. Um, some of those I unfortunately don't have large quantities mm-hmm. of because I might have one plant or two plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm working on um, rectifying that and propagating more so I can have more supply. Mm. Um, but total on property, uh, I was actually trying to figure this out the other day because somebody asked me because I said, you know, I really don't know. <laughs> um, I have about 300 varieties currently planted. Um, and that's always expanding and changing, um, as well, but for the cut flower production, um, those are ones I plant in larger quantities. So I can fill the demand uh, of designers to make sure that they have enough of Mm. a single variety Mm -hmm. for their orders. Um, but, uh, definitely bringing back those old garden style roses that I'm lucky enough to, you know, have this beautiful collection here on the property. Wow. And you're right about where you're located. Like you're getting the heat that the roses need in the summer, but it's, it, it's also balanced with the the winter chill. I'm I'm assuming it is. Yeah, we get the nice chill, which is great for help with diseases. Mm. Uh, we don't have a lot of um, mold and mildew, black spot issues here because it is so dry right. in the spring. Not like up here um, in Seattle. But we do get that. We do get that. Yeah, exactly. But we do get that wonderful heat that um, some varieties just thrive in the heat. Uh, and I will say, as a rose grower, that's something that. Um, I would tell anyone across the country that really find roses that work well for you and your climate, because what grows well for me here may not be a perfect fit for where you are. Um, so if I grow something and it's just not performing or it's struggling or it's, you know, disease prone, um, it's kind of a a brutal truth, but I just rip it right out (laughs) because I don't, I don't need the hassle. I want to grow things that are beautiful, that are uh, easy to care for and, you know, with no spray and disease free and sex free. So, um, I really, really look for things that do well in my climate and I encourage other, um, growers and gardeners to do the same. Um, just because it grows well for me doesn't mean it will grow, grow well for you. So find something that you love and, um, is happy in your garden. Well, you're in kind of this rare, um, rare club of <laughs> the dying breed of 
California rose farmers, um, even more specialized because you're not growing hydroponically in greenhouses like right. some companies it's are. It's all field grown. <laughs> yeah. What, um, but you're in Sacramento. You're not in the largest population hub. So what? how do you get to market? No, getting to market, um, well, Sacramento actually, surprisingly, or the greater Northern California area does have a lot of um, of a business up here between Lake Tahoe, Napa, Sonoma, mm, um, even San true. Francisco. So yeah. uh, we so do a have lot of, a, a, lot a of, route. A lot of places are within two miles, two hour drive in every direction. It sounds right. Like. Yeah. It's all within a two to two and a half hour drive from where we are. So mm-hmm. we do have a truck route. Um, I also ship uh, FedEx overnight uh, anywhere in the country as well. Wow. So that's how we get our roses to other designers in parts of the country that, like, right now um, might be snowed in. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> even though we don't have roses right now. But um, that's typical, like, in, you know, even October, November, we get a lot of calls from places that are already under snow and going, do you have any roses? I'm like, yes. And mm. um, so we that's do wonderful. overnight shipping uh, and delivery kind of in the greater Northern California area wow. is how we uh, get our flowers to market. Are you able to kind of um, benefit from the infrastructure of the of the orchard business to the kind of you had a truck anyway and you already having to do deliveries uh, for larger crops? You're like this is pretty mm-hmm. pretty amazing that you're able to do this. No, actually, I I mean I have trucks for my other farming operation, but they um, we only harvest once a year mm. for um, the other crops. So it's kind of you take care of them all year, and then in you know in August you do your big harvest, uh, and those are large you know flatbed trucks that take big bins of fruit to a processing facility, mm, like like uh, a commodity so, almost. Yeah, like a commodity mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the flowers, it's kind of a completely different way um, to market. I have to direct market those, and so. No, I did have to get a, um, you know, a vehicle to travel in and uh, get box, you know, be able to get the right boxes and packaging material to ship things and um, to be able to get them to market. So it it was definitely some um, infrastructure things that I needed to add to the farm um, in order to be able to accommodate uh, the new diversity in business. So yeah. wow! And Felicia, you're coming into your fifth season at marketing and selling yeah, the roses. Yeah, I started. I'm trying to think. I was thinking the other because people always ask me. I'm like, well, kind of unofficially, we started in you know like 2013. Mm. Um, you know, in 2014, we started really you know selling on a very, very, very small scale. Um, so this would be 2000. Yeah, 2014, 15. Fourth year, fifth year, um, yeah, because it didn't really. We didn't really say, "Oh, we're going to start a business today." That that's why it's kind of hard to figure out really our start date. You kind of, you kind <laughs> of organically sort of, eased it, into yeah, it. It organically sort of, sort of grew. Um, so we didn't have an official like, "Here's our grand opening," and you know, banners and a ribbon cutting. It sort of was an you know, an evolution of a farm business that already existed. Yeah. So well, I think that's smart because you also yeah. had to add more plants in the ground, and so some of those roses are finally getting good sized and and more oh, yeah. prolific right? yeah 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 we have great great production on our uh, our roses that we have planted here that are been planted in the last couple of years so if um somebody's listening to this and they are in another part of the country and they want to um maybe reach out to order from you do you have minimums or what what do you need to be able to serve a, a florist uh somewhere else in the country <gasps> A florist, uh, what they can do is they can go to our website uh, and we do have a, a little, uh, like a contact form on there that they can fill out their name, address information, because um, we do only sell our cut roses to the um, wholesale trade. 
we don't sell direct to consumer or cuts at all. Oh, so no, um, no, no DIY brides, that kind of thing. No right? DIY, yeah, no DIY brides. Um, unfortunately, uh, although we we we're thinking about possibly adding that, but for now, um, mm-hmm. it's just uh, directly to uh, professional floral mm-hmm. designers. Mm-hmm. Um, they can sign up on our website, and then uh, we'll send out start sending out availability and lists, and we give them have a little whole packet on how they can order, and um, we kind of send them all of our detailed information. Okay. Um, and as far as minimum orders go, um, we usually just have a dollar amount. That's our minimum that we include um, with our information packet when mm-hmm. they sign up on our website and it tells them um, um, kind of all of our details for ordering. Yeah. And then what about for delivery? Is that truck route, is it um, more for like the retail flower shop that has a standing order or who are you... Who are you delivering to? It's usually to? more, well, we do deliver to a couple retail flower shops that do do design work. Um, it is usually for uh, wedding designers. Mm. It mostly goes towards weddings and events. So they mm-hmm. may not have a retail floor, floor shop. They might just have a studio. Um, some of them uh, have joint, you know, uh, studios that are like community collective type studios. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And our truck route um, was a little different last year. Last year we kind of did an as needed. Um, and this year we're going to a little bit more of a set schedule and I'll be honest, we haven't completely worked out all the details <laughs> for when the season starts um, of exactly what day we're going to be in what city. But um, we are going to have something this year and be able to provide that for people that are um, in the greater Northern California yeah. and that'll uh, make, area. That, <clears throat> that'll make a lot of people happy, especially when wedding season really explodes. Yeah, yeah. We're, try, we're trying to the, – the reason for the changes this year is we're trying to make it easier on designers, trying to get things to them easier um, so that we can take uh, the hassle out of ordering and mm-hmm. um, so that mm-hmm. they know they have a quality product and it's getting to them um, when they need it. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to visit you sometime. I just I, – Oh, I, I love it. When, when you first joined Slow Flowers, I remember spending like a half an hour just going from image to image on your on your website and just – marveling like who is this woman and where did she come from and so i i encourage everyone listening to do the same thing because it'll be great to get to know felicia and also menagerie oh, thank you, Deborah. that's sweet yeah i i really love what you're doing and i think it's it's a wonderful combination of <clears throat> of different you know different categories of flowers on your farm that works with your family lifestyle and your family business and um yeah it's exciting it's been great <clears throat> So listen, uh, what do you have cooking for 2019? You've alluded to the new truck route. Uh, what else oh my is, goodness. Yeah, is we exciting? Have, we have a truck route. Um, I also do sell, well, I don't sell my cut roses to um, uh, to uh, the public. I do sell bare root rose plants and mm. rose plants. Mm. So our bare root rose sale will be starting here in February. Um, so anybody that's interested in growing their own roses for cuts, whether in their garden or maybe they're a flower farmer that's just starting out and they want to, dabble in um, trying out some roses. Uh, we will have plants for sale and we ship all across the country. Oh my gosh. Um, and those will I be might available even have on our to website. Order the, yeah, I might have to order a few <laughs> for my garden. Ooh. Yeah, there. Yeah, we have some really beautiful choices, and we. T- I, you know, I, I really feature ones that I like and I love that have proven successful for me. So I've kind of already vetted, you know, mm-hmm. the ones that are really good for cuts. Um, Right, and those right. are the it's ones like that a, I, I feature in uh, our collection. And that's a special um, that's a then, special range to have. They're beautiful in the landscape, but they're also 
worthy for the vase. I, that's a exactly. good selection. Um, they kind of do a double function for people in their gardens. Um, so, yeah, so we do have our nursery, and we started that at the end of uh, 2017 was our first year with um, our bare roots. Uh, and every year we add a little more to the nursery. Like this year we're adding potted um, roses that mm-hmm. we hopefully by the end of fall we'll be able to ship as well. But um, for now we'll have the bare roots available um, beginning in February, and people can select their ship dates because I know most people are – uh, across the <laughs> East Coast are still covered in snow. So yeah, um, we hold them for you and we'll um, ship them out uh, on a date that you choose uh, oh closer gosh. to your uh, spring pl- planting time when you're thawed. Um, so that's something exciting and new. I um, also have some great workshops um, in the works this year. I'm doing one that I'm really excited about. Um, I'll be co-hosting a Rose uh, workshop uh, with Danny Hahn of Rose Story Farm. And she's kind of a... Um, one of the original rose farms yes. here in California. Oh, yeah. It's and, Slow Flowers uh, we're, Yeah, we're going to be doing that in uh, the end of March. And uh, the reason why I'm so excited about it is we both, I've been farming for a long time. Uh, Danny's been doing it for over 20 years. She's a master rosarian. She's uh, has such an amazing knowledge um, is that we both kind of got to talking one day and we said, you know, we really want to give back. Like we want to give back to the rose community, to the floral design community. So um, this first workshop that we're doing uh, down at her place, um, we're going to do it all with uh, complimentary tickets. So people can apply um, via essay and we're going to have some information by the time um, this podcast airs. Oh, good. Uh, we'll have it on our oh website. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Uh, so we'll have um, essentially this uh, wonderful uh, free workshop kind of as our way to giving back. Um, and it'll include information on everything from uh, how to grow roses, good roses for cuts. Um, and we'll also have some wonderful designers there um, doing design. So it's perfect for farmer florists um, that are interested in learning more about roses mm. uh, and design uh, to uh, apply. We really <sighs> encourage them. Um, so it's a nice way for us both to be starting off our 2019 uh, season. Oh my gosh. Uh, I also will be doing some uh, other small workshops here just on my farm, just some little one-day ones um, in the fall when our season starts to wrap up. So people can kind of check out our website or follow us on um, Instagram, and we'll be announcing all those things as well. So if anybody's interested um, in learning more about growing roses, um, I have that going on. Awesome. Uh, Thank you so much. Yeah. Wow. It's kind of a lot, a lot in the works um, this year, but it's exciting. <laughs> but it's, it's all, it's, it's all exciting. relevant. I, yeah. Everything feeds into is. the yeah. core business. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much for giving us a little snapshot of your corner of California. Um, it's, it's exciting. And um, I, I gained so much optimism when I talk with people like you, uh, you know, Felicia, you're just like looking for opportunities and uh, reading the market and talking with your clients and, um, you know, constantly innovating. And I really, uh, I really love that attitude. It just makes me oh, want thank to. You. Yeah. I, you know, I really want to, I really love what I do and I try to hope that that energy and that passion signs through and what I give to my customers and share with rose lovers, you know, who buy plants and, you know, I just, want everybody to you know have a more beautiful world every day that's right it's it's, um what makes what i do special oh well it's a good good sentiment to end on great thanks so much for having me deborah all right thanks bye-bye bye-bye
much for joining me on this journey today, seeking new and inspiring voices, people with passion, heart, commitment, and expertise to share with you. I hope today's episode gives you at least one inspiring insight or tip to apply to your floral enterprise. What you gain will be multiplied as you pay it forward and help someone else. It's so nice to hear from listeners, and this past week, two listeners sent me email notes that put smiles, a smile on my face. Last week, during my interview with Nan Madison of Queen City Flower Farm, I mentioned that she was a super podcast fan, likening her to David Brunton of Maryland's Wrightfield Farm, a past guest of this podcast. Well, he heard the mention, of course, and sent me this note, quote, I love the podcast and I love the name check. I'm obviously very interested in others who are doing the side hustle and you're such a great interviewer. I found you later than episode five, which is when Nan started listening, but I did catch up and for a year, yours was the only podcast I listened to. Anyway, thanks for it all. You make me feel more connected to all these folks. Thanks, David. Then this email showed up in my inbox from Elaine Vandiver of Golson Gardens in Walla Walla, Washington. She wrote, yesterday I purchased a much needed new, quote unquote new, 2003 minivan. It will replace my 1994 van and it will tote my flower cart to the farmer's market this coming season. Aside from being the perfect Craigslist score, a granny's rig that was garaged with only 90,000 miles, I bought it with the cash proceeds from my first flower season. I drove it home from the Tri-Cities with a big smile on my face as I watched the sunset, the first sun we have had in weeks, all while listening to yesterday's Slow Flowers podcast episode. Just wanted to share because you're one of the few people who would get the significance of that simple moment and because I so appreciate your podcast, Deborah. And she signed it, Elaine, with a little smile. These two emails indicate what I believe, which is that we have a vital and vibrant community of flower farmers and floral designers who together define the Slow Flowers movement. As our cause gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and I invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. Our final sponsor thanks today goes to Longfield Gardens. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at longfield-gardens.com. The Slow Flowers Summit is five months away on July 1st and 2nd in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I'm pleased to announce that we are nearly 50% sold out on tickets. If you're listening today, which is February 13th, take advantage of our Galentine's Valentine's Day promotion and register with a friend by midnight on February 14th to enjoy our rolled back early bird registration of $275 per person. This is just a two-day promotion, so you'll need to jump on it ASAP. Make your way to slowflowerssummit.com to learn all about the many opportunities to join us, from flower farm tours and dinner on a flower farm, to business and branding presentations, to interactive and inspiring design sessions, all created to serve you. Sign up to receive updates at slowflowerssummit.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 408,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. Thank you all. 
I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Mm-hmm.